Okay, so you're shopping online, right? As okay, I do, I do that at the uh, the Amazon.com. Yes, right. it's a big. You know retailer. what? Did I make a mistake already? You did. Oh God! You take one more step. You go to FeralAudio.com. You go to Amazon through the portal. Mm-hmm. It supports the artists and Feral Audio and podcasting in general. Don't be a dick, man. Go through the portal. Yeah, it's almost like why go through the back door when there's a front door with a nice awning. I mean, sometimes the I'm back sorry, door guys. is nice, but, you know. Stop directing this at me. Get wow. it together, Hunter. I made one mistake. Jesus. Get All it down here. It won't happen again. Yeah, it will. Motown. <laughs> Why is that so funny? <laughs> Nailed it. Good intro. Next song. Bang. <laughs> Motown once was a revolutionary vehicle for the acceptance of black popular music by the white mainstream. But since that time, it's been reduced to an overly familiar oldies radio cliche. It's like the only black music that ever gets played on oldies radio anymore, basically. Like most radio in today's corporate dystopia, it's the same few best-known songs by the same few best-known artists. Because apparently people will change the station if they hear, if they hear something that they haven't already heard 500 fucking times. And that's to say nothing of the smaller names in the genre, who are in danger of being forgotten by a narrowing and ever more streaming-centric musical landscape. Today, instead of making you listen to The Temptations' My Girl for the 20 millionth time, we're going to be spotlighting some lesser-known artists whose careers were shaped by the writers and producers who left Motown for, you know, not quite greener pastures, but they did find some major creative and commercial success, and they helped shape the sound of 70s soul before capitalism did to them what it tends to do. Welcome to Post Motown! Not a single interruption during that. Yeah. Well, we laughed at the beginning because oh, it was funny true. when he said Motown. We yeah. got, Remember, we got, that? I guess Remember we, that, guys? I guess we got yeah. it out. Also, you didn't have enough time to prep this episode. This is the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. We create musical genres like we did when we created the term Yacht Rock. It was us, Brody, Jenner. <laughs> it was us. Oh, jeez. And now we, we create other genres. We count down the best songs in those genres that we create. Because we created the term Yacht Rock, we like to throw a bone to a Yacht Rock song every week. And this one is by a fella we all know called Robbie Dupree. I hate the song's to, called Love is a Mystery. Yes. I hate to interrupt. Yeah? Maybe we should introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. J.D. Riznar. Steve? Hollywood Steve Huey. In Dave, the Dave Lyons. You're a Hunter? I'm Hunter. Okay, so this song... Uh, ooh, is your bone throat, J.D.? I can't fucking believe it is, bro. Do you just want... Dave, just want JD, to make sure. Do you just want to say? I just want to say this is my bone throat. Because you're getting into it. Robbie Dupree, Love is a Mystery. Oh! This is the second What a Fool Believes ripoff on Robbie Dupree's Robbie Duprio. <laughs> yeah, the Super first Dupree. one being Steal Away. Mm-hmm, yep. The most famous one. Um, and and uh, the craziest thing is, there's a fake Michael McDonald on here. It isn't Pages. Oh. That's a oh, crazy He found thing. another one. He found somebody else. The so, third stringer. It actually might be him doing his own background. Probably, yeah. Even the cover of this album, he he's like trying really hard to look like Michael McDonald. There it is. 
There's the non-pages fake Michael McDonald. <laughs> um, so my thoughts on Robbie Dupree has always been that he was a big fat wannabe. That he didn't belong in the Yacht Rock universe. Like, put him over there with Dave Lyons' filthy Marina Rock loser. I agree. I have always put Steel Away in the Marina Rock category. It's, but, yeah. but... Now that we've spent a lot of time looking deep into Yacht Rock and expanding and honing the definition, I want to revisit Robbie to find out... There's that fake Michael McDonald again. Find out where he stands on the Yachtsky scale. So I started listening to his eponymous album, and honestly, there's not a lot of Yacht Rock on there. But this, the very first track is the Dubious Steal Away. Uh, and then the sitcom-themed Thurster <laughs> Hot Rod Hearts <laughs> is, is in the middle. And then I discovered this song toward the end, and that's about it for the Yacht Rock sounding stuff. Like sound-wise, this song is dynamite, personnel-wise, not so much. The lyrics are straightforward and sentimental. I have a term for it now. Love letter lyrics. Love letter lyrics oh. sink yachts. I smell a genre. Well, it's every shitty, yeah, boring that's song. Much. Well, I mean, that's still, I, I smell it. We can figure it More out. More sequels than Bald Metal on um, that one. I, I will say... Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, the, this song, the sound is spot on, so I would give this song at least 60 on the Yatsky scale. Okay. It's a Yacht Rock song. Okay. You know, Robert doesn't have a lot of any, or any, A-listers on this album. But he's got the kind of the tertiary guys like Bill LeBounty and Michael Boddicker. Um, we haven't really brought him up, but he's he did work with Quincy Jones. But it's definitely a name. I, I believe it. I do like that Bill LeBounty guy, yeah, though. Yeah, Bill LeBounty, definitely. And it certainly sounds like Yacht Rock, so I've always let him... Give yeah, I've always, I've always assumed he was a good enough imitator to qualify as the real thing. Yeah. Yeah, so in conclusion... Oh, oh I also, I just want to say that I think a lot of people, they st only stick to Robbie's uh, hip eponymous album that you're playing this off of, but really you should be reaching for the Street Corner Heroes, his next album. That is fantastic. Is it fantastic because it's yacht or just... Really it has old? some yacht on it, but it's just got some great songs like Brooklyn Gor Girls. It's the hottest track on the song. It's amazing. Everybody go reach for that. We've all heard Steal Away too many fucking times. Yeah. In conclusion, I just want to say Robbie Dupree, he's an outsider. He's a big fat wannabe. But when a wannabe wants to be so badly, he becomes a sort of bee. Yeah. You gotta admire that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Welcome to the boat, Welcome Robbie Dupree. Welcome to the lifeboat. <laughs> the lifeboat. He's floating alongside the yacht. Yeah. Hey, hey, would you guys throw me a <laughs> With beer? Dave Loggins. Hey, what's <laughs> on? Throw me, throw me a beer, guys. No, it's cool. I, I played with them once. <laughs> He's technically on the boat, ish. <laughs> Let's talk about Pomo. Oh, hello. Hello, everyone. I'm Hollywood Steve. And Hi, this Steve. Is, this is Post Motown. Now, here's what I want to narrow Post Motown down to. Uh, plenty of artists have left the Motown label. I want to focus on the writers and producers behind the scenes, as we often do with this podcast. These are the guys who learned the craft of record making at Motown and then later tried their own hands at running the show. We're going to be hearing a lot... A lot of stuff a by... A lot. A lot. A lot. Uh, mm -hmm. A whole lot uh, of stuff by Motown's most successful songwriting team, Holland Dozier Holland, who H also did the largest quantity of good work with other artists. Uh, and we're right now we're hearing Lamont Dozier's uh, uh, solo uh, performance artist uh, type thing. What is he called? A uh, singer. It's uh, where he sings a song. <laughs> uh, this is called Trying to Hold On to My Woman. Lamont Dozier had like a few albums here and there. 
not just a songwriter, but also a performer. But he was always the most successful as a songwriter. Uh, anyway, HDH, uh, which also included Eddie Holland Jr. and Brian Holland, uh, after they left Motown, I think it was in 1967, over royalties disputes, they started their own labels, Invictus and Hot Wax. And uh, for a while, they wrote for those labels under the pseudonym Edith Wayne for legal and contractual reasons. That's exactly why I do a podcast called Hollywood Steve is Stupid under the pseudonym Your Mom. My, <laughs> my mom? I think it means Steve's mom. Wait, my mom? No, that's not accurate. I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. I just don't think that's accurate. That's I just, all I wrote. I can't come up with anything else to say. Uh, your mom. Well, great. Then right, it's just your mom. I'll move on to defining what makes a good post-Motown song. Uh, the best stuff is going to come from the pre-disco part of the 70s, where Philly Soul was taking over. Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff were surpassing the masters. Yeah, Everything they learned from Motown, they were putting into practice and modernizing it for a new age. And these veteran guys like HDH were breaking away from Barry Gordy, and they had to prove that they could still keep up with the times. So we're going to hear sharp melodies, clear production, elaborate arrangements that usually have some Philly-type strings included, maybe a little extra texture, maybe some 70s wah-wah guitar, maybe a little psychedelic stuff. Oh, lots and of psychedelics. The lyrics are also trying to stay relevant for the 70s. There's a lot of social consciousness underpinning these things, and the female artists in particular are given very strong, sassy, kind of proto-feminist material. I'd call it feminist material. Yeah. You, can, you can pick it apart and say it's not as feminist, but yeah, it's for the time and the air and the medium, it's definitely feminist material. Uh, I assumed when you were going to do this uh, genre that uh, that uh, Rockwell was going to be post Motown, but if yeah, it wasn't, wasn't Rockwell Quincy Jones? No, Rockwell was Barry Gordy's son. Yeah. Oh shit, you're and right. He, and he recorded for Motown, so he can't be oh, post Motown. He's, yeah. he's not really post Motown yeah. as much as he is Motown's posterior. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's so, all, so He's this also, is specifically like you can't be on Motown. Right, this you have to have left Motown. After, gotcha. So, but you you Not had to be at heyday. Motown and then, however, and, left and, and then go else. away to okay. do something else. However, to be clear, a lot of these artists were the artists were never on Motown. It's, right, it's right. The, the executives who for these are the labels that people in Motown formed. Post Motown. Yeah, these are the artists that they signed to their labels to do Motown-type music for the new modern age of the 1970s. And these labels were out of Detroit, too, right? I believe, yeah, I believe Invictus and Hot Wax were out yeah. of Detroit. Invictus definitely was. Um, I thought Hot Wax was Chicago, but I might be thinking of Wax Tracks. You probably are thinking of Wax Tracks, because they were definitely Chicago. Um, I worked in an Oli Station in high school, and a few of these songs on this list were among my favorites to play. Um, there was just something special going on with, with these post-Motown songs. I think Hollywood Steve is going to teach us today what that reason is and why the talent creating it was great. Um, I just feel like they, they were feeling free to experiment and like build on what made Motown so great. Yes, and they also had that underpinning of craft that, that let them experiment while still making a good, you know... They had all the, the good basic musical elements there, melody, rhythm, harmony, and... And just making memorable music. Uh, Dave, wait, Dave, do you want to say this dig you did on me? What? Oh. Because uh, I want to defend it. 
Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, you said you worked at a... Hold on, let me make it natural. I worked at an oldie station playing this music. You worked at an oldie station? Is that where you developed your hatred for oldie time music, or did you just become an asshole later? No, you see, Motown isn't oldie time. It's when music started getting good. Mm -hmm. Oldie time is that boogie-woogie 50s garbage that Bob Seger sang about, you know? The stuff he made sound lame with old-time rock and roll? You get it, Hunter. Yeah, he's speaking yeah. my language a little bit. Your right mother. There. Oh. Mm. Oh, of, your mother those, now, huh? A lot of those going around today. Yeah. You want to get in the countdown, boys? Yeah, why not? Oh, fun thing about today's countdown, uh, it was sent in by a guy named Raleigh Hatch, the best uh, countdown bumper sender in her name ever. Good name, yeah. And, um, he basically took a popular song from the 80s and slowed it down to build this week's bumpers. So see if you can figure out what the song is before number one. It becomes obvious with the number one is bumper. Is there a prize? Uh, there's no prize. God damn it. But we're just going to have fun thinking about it. Okay, you guys ready? Listen up. It's the whole song, right? I don't know. I'm going to be racking my brain all It's a little part to the while song, little snippets. While you're thinking, I want to talk about this song that's playing. This is number 10. This is a group called The Glass House. Uh, they were assembled as a studio project by the Holland Dozier Holland team. Uh, this song is Crumbs Off the Table from 1969. It was their only top 10 hit. The lead singer of this group is Sherry Payne, whose sister Frida was a solo act. This is not the only song we'll be hearing about... We'll be hearing today about men who inadequately perform their duties with regard to lovin'. Ouch. Ooh. So I hear a lot of Sly in the Family Stone. Was Is that style part of Pomo? Or is it like... Because like the Temptations did Psychedelic Shack, but the, obviously they were still on Motown. Yeah, that was like the Norman Whitfield era of Motown, where the, they started to go psychedelic. But they definitely had outside influences on their post-Motown stuff, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, like I said, these guys have to keep up with the times. Gotcha. Because they're striking out on their own. They got to prove they're still relevant. Well, uh, I, I dig it. Yeah. Uh, in the first verse of this song, uh, the woman is the one who leaves the house in the morning and gets home at the end of the day tired, hoping to get laid. By the second verse, she's back at home working around the house all day, getting bored and horny. So we can only infer that her man was embarrassed about his woman supporting him, went out and got a job, and then made her quit hers. That's how I'm reading this song. <laughs> I mean, it's about a, isn't this about a guy... Cheating, and then he doesn't have enough boner left to bone his wife? Once, one way or the other, he doesn't have enough boner for his wife. Yep. She thinks it's because he's cheating. It's it could also be that he's totally emasculated by having his woman support him in the first verse. Yeah, I mean, this is the sad circumstance of marriage songs in the pre-book Viagra era, you know? If this song were written in 2000, when everybody was taking boner pills, this husband would have so many boners. After he bones his affair... And this lady here, his wife, would be singing a song called Beef Roast on a Platter. <laughs> she'd be getting she'd be, blade. She'd be getting beef blade? <laughs> laid. I said laid. I was oh. about to say beefed, but I oh. said laid. I wanted to be classy. She's getting beef laid. <laughs> blade, yeah, blade is when you get beef, beef laid. laid. Blade. <laughs> beef laid. That portmanteau goes out to our friend Blay. Uh, song ended. Anything else? Uh... Although the third possibility is that he can't get it up because he just recently re-entered the workforce and he's stressed out about his girlfriend who thinks he's been cheating. That's important. Mm. 
This just in, another Pope's Motown song is about to play. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Oh, boy. This is, this is 100 proof aged in soul with the song Somebody's Been Sleeping. Who wrote which, this one? Which answers the question, what if Goldilocks was a horny dude who was banging your wife? Oh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. The fee-fi-fo-fum intro also leads us to believe that the narrator is the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk who's stomping around while some dude drinks all his good whiskey. They're yeah. really mixing up their fairy tales here. I, I know, but I love it because who gives a fuck, right? You mash together two iconic fairy tale legends because it's fun as hell. Obviously, yes. The only thing that some, the only thing might be some other post Motown writer is going, "Oh man, I had a fee fi fo fum song that was actually about Jack and the Beanstalk. Oh, now I can't do it." I think this guy's wife is just terrible at covering her tracks. Like the whiskey's gone. There's cigarettes in the ashtray that that. He doesn't smoke. Yeah, she's not setting enough boundaries with this No, I think it's like, you know what? I'm sick of your bullshit. Here's my feminist bullshit. I'm taking it from this dude, and fuck you. I think so. I think she wants to be caught. Just like Goldilocks did. Yeah, Yeah, except uh, there were a lot of different beds that they were in in Goldilocks, if I remember the fable correctly. She's trying them all out. Yeah, this one's too, too big. Uh, this one's too small. <laughs> this one's just right. Is that how it went? Yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah. I think that's what this yeah. song is about. Yeah, it's about it's about holes. Yeah, this porridge burned my dick. Something like that. <laughs> uh, man, this, this what, porridge this... burned my dick. <laughs> that's a line in the song, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, 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 here's the trippy part. This is psychedelic great. freak out in this. This is great. Yeah. This is amazing. This is like um. Like, the guy figured out his woman was cheating on him, and then this music indicates that he just went into a freakout, psychedelically freaked out. Crime of passion? No, he didn't do a crime, he just, oh, like, okay. started tripping. Whoa. Yeah, he was tripping. White rabbit. Whoa, you, my say, woman's cheating on me. Did you say the name of this this band? Yeah, I did. Well, I'll, ta- I'll talk about it a little bit more, though. 100 Proof Asian Soul. They were another studio group assembled by Holland Dozier Holland. One of the members was Joe Stubbs, whose brother Levi was in the Four Tops. Yeah, Levi uh, Stubbs, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, apparently, in the early days, they just went around looking for the lesser-known siblings of more famous R&B singers that they knew. It's incredible how often they did this. I learned this. Yeah. So you'll learn this in this episode. Yes. Now, Frankie Gay, uh, Marvin Gaye's little brother, like wrote an, uh, an autobiography, totally taking credit for a lot of the things Marvin Gaye did. But it was a very common thing. Like, he introed him, he sang backup for him, and sometimes he filled him for him because he looked just like him. Yeah, it's a great business plan. It worked for the movie, uh, I don't know if you ever seen it, Beach Babes from Beyond. I thought you were going to say Multiplicity. No, it starred for Joe, it starred Joe Estevez, Don, oh, he's great. Don Swayze, and Joey Travolta. Mm-hmm. We did not talk that enough is, about Joe Estevez. That's not a joke, by the way. That's real. Don Swayze's a great actor. We work with Joe Estevez's daughter. Yeah, we do. Tell the story of yours. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, So this song was from 1970. It was their only top ten hit. They also had a... The the song that... This was... The predecessor of this song was called Too Many Cooks, subtitle Spoil the Soup. It's not the song from the Adult Swim video. (laughs) 
But I think because the name of the group is 100 Proof that the soup was spoiled by dumping a bunch of peppermint schnapps in it, which is something my friend and I actually did one night while drunk to see if a stray cat will eat it. It did not eat the soup. And the soup was spoiled by the peppermint schnapps. That's why I wanted Steve to tell the story. It's the first time I've ever heard a story of Steve doing something wild and crazy while he's drunk. Normally his stories are like, I got drunk and I was at a taco and beer festival. Yeah, the story is they got drunk. (laughs) They tried to get a cat drunk. But the cat refused. And it didn't work. There's not much man. to do in Big Rapids, Michigan, man. Dude, I want to party with you. <laughs> you do. Welcome to Beyond Yacht Rock. Come on over to Big Rapids. <laughs> oh, hey, guys. Yeah? We're back to the Mizell Brothers, Larry and Fonts. Hey! This uh, this song is by the Rance Allen Group. This is one of their rare productions for a vocalist as opposed to a jazz instrumentalist. The song is called Reason Whoa. to Survive. <laughs> Not a very good reason. <laughs> I disagree. This is from the 1977 album Say My Friend, which has lots of the Mizell's trademark grooves, uh, lots of extended type songscapes, I guess, if you will. Uh, It's much more like one of their jazz productions than a full-fledged gospel album, which is, I guess, probably kind of why I dig it. Uh, Nothing on this was a hit, unlike most of these post-Motown songs. And also, this is seven minutes, so it's the least pop-friendly of anything here. But it's also, that that all kind of makes it the most unique of the bunch. It's a little change of pace here in the middle. And you can even, you can actually hear a few of the same string stabs in this production that we heard back in the Cookout Jazz episode on the uh, the, the Donald Bird track that was number one. It's burned into my mind. Yeah. yeah. I like the way this guy sings. You listen to this song, he sings, Dang! He sings, he sings a lot of real funny it's, things. It sounds like they may have like uh, taken a horse and turned him into a soul singer and put him out there. It kind of sounds like Mr. Ed yeah. a little bit. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Maybe Maybe they rub peanut butter inside his mouth to get him to sing. <laughs> Mr. Rance. Rance, Rance. Rance Allen is singing behind him. Yeah, Rance awesome. does sound like one of those horse terms that nobody knows, like, like Cantor. Or dressage. Um, dressage. Let's talk about Fonce Mizell again a little bit. Hey! Refreshing your memory. Uh, he was a member of The Corporation, which was the name of the new in-house production team that was formed by Barry Gordy after Motown began to move its operations from Detroit to Los Angeles and after Holland Dozier Holland left. Uh, the other members besides Fonce... Hey, hey, hey. Missed your cue there. Sorry. Uh, the other members were Barry Gordy himself, Deke Richards, and Freddie Perrin. And they were specifically assigned to write material that would break the Jackson 5 into the big time. And they responded by writing, I Want You Back, which is one of the greatest pop songs of all time. I recently confused the corporation with the association, the band that sang Wendy. Windy. 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 Everybody knows it's windy. And I was very proud of myself that I could make that confusion because I knew enough about the people mentioned. (laughs) Just plugging myself there. You have a good memory for confusion. Yes. This song's not as good as I Want You Back, and I think it's because it's a gospel. Very few songs are as good as I Want You Back. But this specifically is a gospel song, and basically what he's saying is the reason to survive seems to be Jesus. And that's why 
this song didn't do so well. Songs are good when they tap into genuine human emotion, and Christianity is little more than a fairy tale meant to crush humanity and replace it with blind adherence. Oh! You like that one, Steve? Yeah! How many people Bring it! Isn't Jesus religion? more of a reason to die? Like, the whole point is to give yourself everlasting peace in heaven after death. Trust me, Christians are as confused as you are, my you friend. You know what? They need to get some of those 27 virgins. Guys, I want to <laughs> break away for just a quick second. While I was thinking this, I thought of a reason that maybe Yacht Rock exists. So Steve has bring, brought up the, that the Motown artist moving, or moving Motown to Los Angeles. When you think about it, don't you think it would have shifted a lot of the session musicians from that area, from Detroit, that Motown area, that R&B that they were bringing to LA, that everybody started coming to LA? Don't you think that they may have like influenced a pair or two? Yeah. It, you know, it really changed the, the sound. The Rance, the Rance Allen group, they were all brothers. I wrote their names down somewhere in my notes. Oh, they were, uh, they were Tom, like, Steve, and Esau. Yeah, there were four of them. Isn't Esau and, like the dickheaded brother of Jacob in the Bible? Wouldn't uh, yes. Uh, that's my improv. Like, um, but they were from uh, Monroe, Michigan, which people from that area call it Monroe, Michigan. And if there really was a South Detroit, that's it. It's like even worse than Wyandotte, because at least Wyandotte can claim Lee Majors. To reiterate, I just want to say that I think it was an important part of Yacht Rock was Motown moving to Los Angeles. I love that theory. I love it. Let's write a book about it. We should research that. Oh, wait, the, what the fuck? Oh no, the bumper didn't work. Number seven. 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 Hey. hey. Song number seven is by The Eighth Day. It's oh. called She's Not Just Another Woman. Now, we like to make sure these countdowns don't repeat artists. Why? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's not really a, a policy. It's an answer, but artists. we've been doing it from the beginning for whatever reason. But we like to like find a way to creatively package them in other forms, like Sammy Hagar, who I assume is on this list because he's on the list. <laughs> right. So how many of the, uh, versions of that guy can we get into a show? Right, he is number one. Uh, this song is technically by the Holland Dozier Holland group, The Eighth Day, another studio group, but it's actually by 100 Proof Aged in Soul. Oh, I love this story! Oh, yeah, okay. Keep going. So here's the thing. When Somebody's Been Sleeping became a hit, the DJs started to play this song off their album. So in order to capitalize as quickly as possible, without having the group compete with itself, HDH released this song as a single under a different artist's name, The Eighth Day. And after this became a million-selling top five hit on the R&B charts, they then went ahead and assembled a completely new group with a different singer who became the official version of The Eighth Day. But that lineup never had another hit as big as this one. It's kind of like how we're just Ira Glass and friends doing another podcast so we don't compete directly with This American Life, since everyone's sick of cereal and the brand is tarnished. Yeah, we really fucked up with hey, that second let, season. Let me, yeah. take, let me take the curtain away. Hey, it's me. It's Ira. We're doing the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. I gotta give back to This American Life. Thank you. That's my Ira Glass impression. <laughs> it's really good. Thank That's you. really good. I always like your Quincy Jones impression. Uh, uh, Rashida, get back, get down here. You, you were supposed to clean your room, Rashida. Hey. You're now punished. Hey, Rashida, this is Q. <laughs> uh, Michael, Michael, I'll call you back. I gotta punish Rashida. There it is. You found it towards the end. I gotta talk to Michael for to really get it. Yeah. yeah. 
Which, by the way, not post Motown. Michael? Quincy talking to Michael. No. I don't know what we're talking about. Steve, do you have we're some We're talking fun fact? about She's Not Just Another Woman by The Eighth Day. This is a real sweet love song about a dude who finds a woman that actually knows what to do with him emotionally, which is hard to find, let me tell you guys. And he's happy. He's completely happy to sing things like, She Knows How to Control Me. Here's that feminism popping up again. Someone has at long last tamed his wild heart. That feminism popping up again? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta beat that, it down like that, whack-a-mole. That women's lib. Uh, he also uses the... He, he's got these family member references. He says, she's got electrifying loving as warm as a mother's oven, which is kind of weird. I get it. But he, he works in the other family members, and he's like, uh, she's done things for me that I wouldn't ask of my own father. Which is probably what you want in a girlfriend, you know, because of sex. Um, it would to be to be fair to the creepy mother's oven line. Scientifically, we all maintain the same temperature. Any part of your girlfriend you put your wiener into is going to be as as warm as your mother's womb. So if he's literally talking about his mother's oven. I think his girlfriend should go to the emergency room. <laughs> like three hundred fifty degree temperature. What? What would? Oh what would you ask of your girlfriend? Like, what? The, I, it's like, I wouldn't ask that of my own father. I would hope not. If they're talking about sex, hand jobs, hand jobs. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't ask that of my father either. I, come on, come on. Well, not now. He's dead. Oh. Well, even better. Beyond. Oh, sorry. Rip off! Speaking of women's lib, guys, the 1970s was sort of the beginning of the movement, and there's nothing more liberating for women than stealing everything your cheating boyfriend owns. That is Laura Lee's plan on this song, Rip Off. She knows that he's been out slutting around and she hears him come home late, but she never lets on. She always cooks him breakfast and gives him coffee and shit. But. She's setting up an elaborate operation to move all his furniture out in one day so that he comes home to an empty house. And not just the furniture, both of his TVs, the carpet, the wallpaper, and the telephone so he can't call the police. Now, obviously, this is going to require significant manpower. So you assume that she's either recruited family and friends to help out or she's hired a team of movers. Uh, this song, she's currently recruiting other girls, other cheated on women to help her move out. That's what this song is. This is a movie I would watch. This is a movie I should write. This is this is just a bunch of cheated on men stealing everything from their dirty... Or a bunch of cheated on women stealing everything from their dirty dogs. I love revenge movies, guys. Rip off oh, girls. yeah. Get the Leslie, rip -off girls. Yeah. Get rip Leslie off Jones girls. in it. Oh, this is man. The, my God, this is the first marketable idea we've had in a long time that doesn't involve other people's copyrighted music. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just only inspired by it. Um, I can't believe she, she said she'd take the wallpaper. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and the carpet. It might be yeah. nice. Well, I've been at, my wife and I are talking about putting wallpaper on, like in our house, and I can't imagine it ever being a bargaining chip over anything. But it's, not, it's more like a scorched earth thing, I think. It's like salting the fields behind you as your armies I leave. see. Like, you can't even enjoy this nice wallpaper in our hallway anymore. Yeah. 
And the wallpaper was big in the 70s. Let's not forget that. It's coming back, Steve. Coming Thank back. Thank God. Yeah. The thing I like about this song and a lot of these po- these Pomo songs is that it sounds very musically similar to your typical Motown song. Like, this sounds a lot like a Supreme song, you know? But instead of those breathy Supremes vocals dreaming of love, you've got this pissed-off woman screaming her head off for revenge. Right. It's such well, such a great turn culturally and musically. It's super punk rock, right, Dave? It would be if she wasn't bragging about having two TVs. Uh, in the 70s, two TVs? You fucking kidding me? I, I noticed that too. I was like, wow, that is, she is taking something. By the way, she just said she was going to slap him in the face with the unexpected, which is totally badass. Does that mean she, well, never mind. Uh, Laura Lee, her other big hit was Women's Love Rights, which encouraged women to be independent and to love who you wanna because a man is sure gonna. And it also actually contains the, the term women's liberator that shouts them out. Um, a lot of the rights that she wants in that song involve her man spending more money on her rather than taking control of her own destiny by leaving him with the kids, getting a job, and joining a socialist workers' movement to seize control of the means of production. But this is the embryonic stage of women's lib. So it's okay. Something's up with the playlist, boys. What's going on? Is it on shuffle? No. No. How am I going to guess what the bumper song is? Well, this is our 50 States song. There it is. Listen to those sounds. And honestly, with the bumper thing, you're not going to even come close to telling what it is until the last bumper anyway. So it is a dumb contest, but it's it's cool when you find out what you want. Well, it's a dumb contest because there's no prize. Guys, no one needs prizes. We're not in, Hunter. Where the fuck we're not, are we? We're not in the bumper zone anymore. We're are we in, in the jar zone? We're in no. We're in Montana. Oh Ooh, yeah. yeah! Listen to those sweet sounds of uh, lovely, wonderful nature in the Big Sky State. Did you guys know that Steve Albini was from Montana? No. I did. Serious question. You did. You knew that? Robert? No, I did because when I did, a, I made a Steve Albini reference and I mentioned a song, Jordan, Montana. It's actually Jordan, Minnesota. I confused it because he's from Montana. Oh. You know, because you made a mistake. Dave Lyons, correction. <clears throat> well, Association versus corporation. Indeed. Well, he was from Montana, and this is Big Black with Live in a Hole, a song I'm sure is also about Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, Albini grew up in Missoula, Montana, and his father was a wildlife researcher. Uh, while he and Big Black are associated with Chicago, this is from his first EP when he was the only member, and he was still the ripe young age of 19, so the stank of Montana was all over this music. Well, he left out his band Rape Man. That was later. But, yeah. Well, this is known... Also th- shellac. Shellac, of course. This is known uh, as the Montana sound, actually. This is pretty much any group or band or solo performer you hear who has come out of Montana has music that sounds exactly like this. It's very artistic and impossible to mm. listen to. Yeah, it's the sound of anti-government extremism. <laughs> Albini's uh, famously turned down uh, royalties when he produced In Utero for Nirvana saying, you know what, I showed up, I did my job, I got paid for my job. I don't get to own a piece of what you've done. And they said, okay. 
and he basically talked himself out of about 40 million, 40 million, four million dollars, which most of it went to Courtney Love after that. Yeah, and he still has nothing nice to say about her. And when you listen to In Utero, it sounds like a Steve Albini album. But, well, I mean, he produced so many, like Urge Overkill, Fugazi, Jawbreaker. Here in this, yeah, this yeah. Is, he was nineteen. He produced my favorite Jawbreaker album, Twenty Four Hour Revenge Therapy. Who else is about to end? Who else is from Montana? Uh, let's see. Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam, Ooh. most of the Decemberists, uh, a country bluegrass outfit, the Mission Mountain Wood Band, who are apparently Montana's answer to the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I really like Pearl Jam, and I like In Utero. I think I'm going to move to Montana. I'm moving there tomorrow. Leah, we're moving to Montana. Yeah, no speed limit. Yeah, also the only sex, uh, the only legal sex in Montana is missionary between a man and a woman. Oh, hello? Montana Moving Company? Cancel my reservation. You need a reason? I'd like to have uh, my dick sucked from time to time without getting arrested. Uh, also, oh, it's, oh, plug uh, hole. Plug hole. Uh, go ahead, say your fun fact about. You can have an open intox in Montana. Oh, that's fun too. Still? But what fun is having open intox in the car if you're not getting a beach along with it? Well, I don't know who your friends are. I thought that went away. It's, Welcome it's, it's to been plug hole. Since I've been there. Ocean City Defenders bed. I just want to play this on only this bed because of the, the bumpers that Ocean City Defender made for us in the Bob Seger show. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. It was. Now, um, and I'm only gonna here's and I'm also only gonna play plugs, plug hole beds by Ocean City Defender. This one or any other one you wanna make, Ocean City Defender. Unless you've already sent the bumper other people and I forgot to play it, let me know. I'll get that one out of the way, then I'll go back to Ocean City Defenders. You're doing a great job of defending Ocean City Defenders. Oh, man, I'll defend Ocean City Defenders to my dying thing. It's just so sad he's Canadian and has to deal with all the pressure being in such a yeah. terrible country. You know right? what would make him feel better? Alan, Alan Thick. Well, Alan Thick will make everybody feel better, but also going to yachtrock.com mm -hmm. to buy a oh. yacht rock t-shirt. Yeah. Beyond Yacht Rock t-shirt. A Beyond Yacht Rock. You like this podcast, you gotta let everybody know with Beyond Yacht Rock written across your chest. And every time I wear my shirt, I get compliments. It's a nice, it's a premium shirt. People that don't know what that is, they're like, oh, that's a really mm -hmm. cool looking shirt. You and, don't look like an asshole. And if the skin on your torso could give you compliments or praise, it would mm -hmm. thank you for putting yeah. on that shirt because it is made it's of good stuff. premium. You can also get, uh, I just want to say it gets softer with every wash. Yeah. You can also um, go to YachtRock.com oh, and you can pre-order Bob Seger t-shirts. I'm Bob Seger t-shirts. We sold a lot of them on Etsy and now like you, you weird sizes, different sizes, you can get them and you can join the I'm Bob Seger system of wealth and, and everything at YachtRock.com. And those get gruffer and more Seegery with every wash. Mm -hmm, but they help you succeed more and more. Anybody else have anything else they want to plug? Rhetoric uh, coffee? Do you guys like coffee? I do. Drink it. I'm not super yeah. into it, but I'll drink rhetoric coffee. You know what? You should try rhetoric coffee. It's subscription coffee. You go to rhetoriccoffee.com, you sign up for a subscription, and you put Yacht Rock in the promo code box, and you get 30% off your first bag of little round beans. And they give you art. Oh, they write art on the bags, yeah. yeah. Artisanal with art. You know what? You uh, take some of those beans, put them in a sock, tie it off, put it in your dresser drawer, makes all your clothes smell like coffee. Uh -huh. 
Yeah. Also, you can pack your drugs in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the dogs can't smell them. Yeah. I like that sock drawer coffee idea yeah. because if you are the kind of person who often spills coffee on yourself and yeah. is bummed out about it, you won't be anymore because you smell like coffee anyway. As long as you wear dark colored pants. <laughs> I'm not required to plug this, but I'll just say that my favorite beer from Montana is uh, from the Big Fat Sky. Tire? No, Big Sky Company. Oh. It's called Moose Drool. Ooh. No. So it's a yeah. delightful roasty brown ale. It's delicious. We should have picked some up while we were there. No. Five. Welcome back to Post Motown, everyone. Here's song number five by The Flaming Ember. It's called Westbound Number Nine. The Flaming Ember was a blue-eyed soul band from Detroit. We all know what blue-eyed soul is. It means white guys. White guys. White guys doing soul. Uh, when the members were in high school, they played on the same Detroit bowling alley circuit as a young Bob Seeger. And their backing vocalists in the studio were Telma Hopkins and Joyce Wilson, who later became Dawn behind Tony Orlando. Yeah, and they have a video of this song from the show uh, on the YouTubes, from the show Upbeat, a syndicated variety show out of Cleveland, so you can see them in all their awkward glory. Oh, uh, white people. Yeah, it's, well, it's such a shame they're so awkward, because if they had just put themselves in blackface like Neil Diamond did in The Jazz Singer, no one would have found oh, them awkward at all. They no way. Absolutely no. correct. His bell bottoms were way too short. <laughs> no amount of blackface can fix and that. They also could have put less work into the song, and everybody would have went crazy for it. What do you, wait, what do you mean? Like, oh, oh. Like, you, baby? Ooh, oh, ooh, baby. baby. That's a great baby song. Now. Neil Diamond worked really hard on that song. Listen, that's <laughs> an old battle. That's Terrible. an old battle. That's it's an old a good battle. song. Here's, let me, let, I want to explain the storyline of this song because it's kind of complex. So in the first verse, you just think this dude is sitting by the tracks with his dogs, fantasizing about getting out of his shitty hometown, hopping the westbound number nine train. This is back when they had trains. Uh, but in the second verse, you find out that his dad is an alcoholic ne'er-do-well, and the town preacher Deacon Jones, who's a recurring jump blues character, you might remember him from my fantastic Winoni Harris 50 States track, JD. Uh, Deacon Jones in this song is a bootlegger making bathtub gin and lusting after all the local sluts. So you think, oh, this guy wants to leave because of the hypocrisy and corruption. Uh, women's lib, they're, they're just women who enjoy sex. That's true, we're moving into this era. So you find out in the third verse, the narrator isn't even his father's child because his mother was cheating on his alcoholic dad, doing exactly what women's livers would do, is leaving their terrible man behind and having a little fun of their own. Dad knows it. So the shit in his family is all fucked up. The only real answer for him is to leave town on the train. Hmm. Kind of a metaphor for Motown. Mm-hmm. Huh. Harry um, Gordy did sleep with Diana Ross a lot. And then he moved. Yep, then he moved to Los Angeles. I think he flew, though. No train. I'm going to start a white soul band from Detroit, and I'm going to call it Jinky Jade and the Europeans. And I'm going to write a song called Hot White Beans. And my band is going to do these cool Motown riff measures. And I'm going to shout, Hot White Beans! Just like Mama made! And then I'll repeat, then the song will repeat that until it's over. I'm going to be the next Mayor Hawthorne, guys. Hot White Beans! Just like Mama made! People love songs about food. Mm -hmm. It's 
best. I looked this band up and they were inducted into the Rockabilly Hall of Fame in 1999. <laughs> yep, that's true. Which is confusing. They, was, char- they charmed the snake. I guess they did. It was kind of an honorary thing, I think, from what I read, even though they didn't play Rockabilly. Yeah, but the band really... Whoa, we lost a bumper again. Wow. It doesn't work. Something's wrong with it. Number, Number four! this one before. Yeah, it's great. It's the chairman of the board doing Give Me Just a Little More Time. Carrot Top? No, the chairman <laughs> of the board. Ah. M-E-N, not B-O-R-E-D, the classic Norm MacDonald joke. Oh, so of course. Uh, the chairman of the board were the most prolific male act on the Holland Dozier Holland uh, family of labels. Uh, they're also the most distinctive thanks to their main singer, General Johnson. That was actually his birth name. Uh, General Johnson hiccups more than any singer since Buddy Holly. HTH uh, built this group around him because they figured, oh, this is a really unique sound. They figured they'd be the biggest artist on their labels, hence the name Chairman of the Board. This was their very first single from 1970. It sold a million copies. The top ten hit in both the U.S. and the U.K. And I love this song, especially the ending it's, breakdown. Yeah, it's great. And when he does that tongue roll, that I can I can't do that. But I that's what you do to do that's what you do to do flutter tonguing on the saxophone. Oh, is that what it is? Vocal yeah. uh, tonguing, it's amazing. Somewhere a young fat boy hears this song and says, "I want to do that." Yeah. Um, the song also has an ending. Maybe we'll get to it, but. The music just drops out, and it's such a badass move. It's such a weird thing that can only happen once all the jazz hippies and regular hippies got their paws on the black culture. I like it. I, this is one of the songs I would play in w, at WLCS in Muskegon, Michigan. On your oldie station? Yeah, yeah. The playlists were mostly set for me, but I, I had a little wiggle room. I'd, you know, I'd play something like Arthur Brown's Fire after the Ooh, weather yeah. break, you know? Hey, here's that's the what, weather. That's I what am Dave, the god of hellfire! That's what Dave likes to call listenable organ. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn but, right. But, you know, a song like this would come on, and I'd go like, wow, like, this is why I love music. Music, yeah, it's great. This is, a, this is a song that you could, if you wanted to stretch it a little bit, you could read it as another impotent song sung by... Oh, there's the dropout you're talking oh, about. Yeah. Uh, it could be sung by a guy who's having trouble oh, no. getting hard. Oh. Yeah. Yep, there's the trill, the flutter yeah. tonguey. And this is almost like, you know, like it stops and like everyone in the audience yeah. is doing the... Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a song by a guy who's having trouble getting hard. His young girlfriend is getting impatient. That he doesn't realize how he's getting a little up in years. <laughs> I think he just wanted But he to... does sing the line, don't give up because love's been slow. Boy, we're going to succeed with another blow. That's well, my supporting uh, fact for that well, interpretation. I, I think it's about a guy having a hard time training his dog. Uh, time is slang for letting your, a dog lick your wiener. It's true. You, know what, you should yeah. restart that song. We got some more fun facts about this okay. song. It's real well, short. We got a lot to say about this song. Yeah, there's, there's there, a lot of stuff there, in there's here. There's more about General Johnson here. You General can, yeah, Johnson. Give you just a little more time. Give me just a little give more time. A little with more this time. One. Holy shit. Now uh, you know what it means. General Johnson uh, also branched out into songwriting with the HDH family of labels. Which uh, branch of the military did he serve in? The Army. It's the one with the generals. Oh, got it. Yeah. Uh, it's not chair- Admiral Johnson. No, yeah. Good point. It's Sorry, what a stupid question Johnson. I asked. Hey, what does the what does the Marines have? Do they have generals? 
Good question. Marines, yeah. right in. Man, we should yeah. have researched yeah. this bit. I remember Gung Ho from G.I. Joe. He was a Marine. Yeah, he had and a leather neck. An anchor tattoo on his I, I arm. Guess, I guess the highest No, rank. Leatherneck. Uh, Gung Ho was the uh, former chef. The oh, highest, oh. So the highest rank you can achieve in the Marines is Gung Ho. We got it. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Don't email yeah. us. Thanks anyway, Marines. We've got this one. Back to General Johnson's songwriting exploits. Uh, the chairman of the board recorded the original version of Patches, which he, Johnson co-wrote with uh, HDH collaborator Ron Dunbar. And, of course, we all know the version by Clarence Carter, who covered oh, it not long after. Yeah. That version won them a, won, uh, General a Grammy for Best R&B Song. Love Clarence Carter. Yeah, he's a forgotten genius. And did, did you know General Johnson also co-wrote the song on our list by 100 Age Proof of Soul that we heard at number 10, I think? 100 Proof Aged in Soul? Whatever. Hey, listen, I <laughs> yeah. had a fun fact and I shared it. Fantastic. That was Thank good. you. That's good stuff. Also, are... guitar on this track is by Dennis Coffey of Scorpio. Oh, and Black Belt Jones soundtrack. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, what were you going to say to Hunter? Uh, you uh, used to rock out some uh, Clarence Carter at karaoke. Oh, yeah. I, Strokin' is my favorite uh, uh, karaoke song. Mm-hmm. Patches. Patches is another good one. That's a guy, I've done that, too. Yeah, I, slip I, away. I got to say, I saw Hunter do Strokin' at karaoke in Vegas, and he was master Strokin'. Pun intended, but not the pun that you think I intended. Did, did he have a stroke? No, it was a master stroke. Oh. No, he was masturbating on stage. Yeah. Keep right, up, go he does the trill. So, we're going to call it a uh, jack track. Here's the trill. Here's the trill. There it is. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Kylie Minogue did it covered this song. Was yes. It? I double checked. She does the flutter tongue roll. Fantastic. Yeah. It's like Neil Diamond doing the blackface and jazz I singer. Just like it. Does he do that unnecessary but memorable thing from the original? He does. Oh, shit, man. Come on. <laughs> Doesn't work. Number three. three. Guys, we kind of nailed that bumper. I don't know why we hire people to do bumpers. We, we don't hire them. We, hire we pay these people $1,000 each to do right. these bumpers. Per bumper. For wasting money. That's why we got to hustle these shirts so much oh to pay God. for the bumpers. Oh, yeah. We can just do them ourselves. You should Good put point. an ad for those shirts in the one ads. Oh, There's my segue to this song by the Honeycone. <laughs> uh, they, they were another group with a sibling connection. Lead singer Edna Wright was the sister of Crystal's lead singer and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Darlene Love. Uh, so I'm starting to think that soul is a quality that runs in the family in much the same way the Force tends to be strong with Jedi who are related to one another because of all that midichlorian bullshit that they came up with in the prequels. Also, uh, wait, the other... Way to, way to nerd out and then call it bullshit. Yeah! <laughs> that's what I'm all about. The other members of the Honeycone, uh, backing singer Shelley Clark was a former member of Tina Turner's backing vocal group, The Ikettes. She later married Earth, Wind, and Fire bassist Verdine White. The other backing singer, Carolyn Willis, went on to sing background vocals on Seals and Croft's Get Closer. Hmm. I always thought this song sounded like a Jackson 5 song. Yes, and, because it's awesome. Yeah, and, but then I saw them and I was like, oh, they're 100% they're women. And they're way better dancers than the Flaming Ember. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't take much. I think this song sounds like Mr. Big Stuff, that Oreo commercial song. Oh, yeah, by uh, Gene Wright, I believe, is the artist. Sure, you're smarter that. than me on these things. I don't know the name of the guy. I know it's from the Oreo commercial. Um, and this is another great example of a woman taking control of her life. 
and getting away from a cheating man is much better than the first version of this song, which was about looking for a discount on an old sink. <laughs> Wanted! You sink with no cracks! 12 by 14, 10 inches deep! It wasn't what didn't go well. Luckily, they came up with this idea to make it about personal ads. I'm yeah, you know how they came up with the idea? Well, I, I researched looking this. at the one ads, right? Yeah, uh, the, yeah, they were looking at the so one ads. So much uh, the song. Of, uh, the you know what? You tell the story. The studio engineer of, at the HDH label family of labels picked up a newspaper, read the one ads, and said, "Hey, somebody should write a song about the one ads." And the producer's like, "Yeah, let's get General Johnson in here to write up our idea for us." So all three of them are credited as writers. Uh, but this was this was a General Johnson written song, and it went to number one on the pop charts in 1971. Here's the first, a, the first number one pop hit of the uh, show so far. Here's the thing: we keep hearing these crappy four top songs. Oh, they're great over and over again on oldie stations. There's all these number yeah. one songs that just are lost. It's yeah, bizarre to me. Completely, they were huge hits because they were great. Yeah, and they're just fucking gone. Thank you, Clear Channel. <laughs> Fuck you. Also, guitar on that track was by Ray Parker Jr. Shirtless, oh, so good. Shirtless, shirtless, oh. Ray Parker. Yeah. Or is it old Ray Parker Jr.? That's just Ray Parker. took a time machine back. Oh, I mean, he took it. Never mind. Never mind. Stupid. Let's see if this next bumper works. Nope. <laughs> Have you figured it out yet? It's Iron Man, right? Nope. Guys, oh, it's the same guys. Song? Mm-hmm. Wait, hold on. You hear those hand claps? Yeah. yeah. Wait. Am I at Dodger Stadium? No, you're in... Are people batting beach balls around in the stands while some assholes in the bleachers try to get everyone to do the wave like it's fucking 1985? What's wrong with the wave? Am I being told by the scoreboard to make noise by clapping along to this beat because something important is happening and I'm not paying any attention to the fucking game? No, it's much better than that scenario. Wait, wait. This is the wave was invented in 1985. I don't know when it was invented. (laughs) I was at a football game last Sunday, and I was walking through, and everybody had to stand up and sit down as I walked by. I turned around and said, "This is the worst wave I've ever seen." No one got it. Which is weird because probably a lot of those people were at Dodger games where everybody fucking loves to do the wave. Yeah, there were a lot of waves going around. It was the Coliseum. Anyway, this is Rose Royce, guys, with Car Wash. Uh, when Holland Dozier Holland left the Motown label, Norman Whitfield, who I mentioned briefly before, he stepped up to become the label's number one in-house producer. He helped bring them into the psychedelic age of the late 60s. Now, where HDH tried to start their own labels and build a stable of artists, uh, Norman's post-Motown career basically found him picking one group as his muse and just sticking with them, and that group was Rose Royce. Now, Rose Royce, they started as a group of musicians from around Watts and Inglewood, right around here, call themselves Total Concept Unlimited. Such a great name, they never should have changed it. What Agreed. A- TCU. Yeah, but Rose Royce is such a good fucking Rose Royce is good as Total Unlimited, Not the whatever. name. <laughs> the band is so fucking good. Yeah. Um, Wait, they did, first, you, did you say Total Concept whatever? It's a Total total Limited whatever. I don't remember what they were called. It's just a sweet yeah, name. I don't, I don't, I, we, neither of us remember Get it. off my nuts, Dave. Steve has fun facts. Sorry, man. He's got nice nuts. Facts. Uh, total Concept Unlimited toured as Edwin Starr's backing band. Uh, Starr's producer was Norman Whitfield, and he signed the band to his new label. He added a singer named Gwen Dickey, who was nicknamed Rose, and they changed the name to Rose Royce. Uh, then director Michael Schultz, who directed Cooley High, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, commissioned Norman Whitfield to score his new movie, which is going to be a comedy about a car wash. 
And uh, Whitfield saw it as an opportunity to make to break his new group, well, I have them make it, and it worked. And this song hit number one. Hmm. And how? Not and that, how? Not that funny of a movie. And they had some fucking come- comedic talent in there. George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Things were grim for comedy in the 70s. Not all- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like that stupid Blazing Saddles movie that nobody liked. Yeah. I mean, period. You know? You know what I mean? Like, there's like, some Mel Brooks movies. And yeah. What else? Yeah, exactly. Pryor. Oh, God? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There. Well, this song made car washing sound awesome. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like an actual good job on this song. Yeah. Like when you, and like, you kind know, of it's makes hot. you think it might be a good movie. Yeah, it kind of yeah, does. It's, I've never seen the movie, but it's it's rough. Yeah, yeah. it's too bad. The song's good. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a good job. It's you know, it's hot. There's people waiting. There's all these cars, but you know, the boss don't mind if you act a fool. You might even meet an Indian chief, which I assume was a more common occurrence in 1976. <laughs> I think it was a more exciting occurrence in 1976. I guess so. Jeez. Uh, Before is... all this PC crap took over, and everybody gets a participation trophy. In Obama's America. <laughs> anyway, car oh, wash. Oh, oh shit! I didn't know you had more fun oh, facts. Shit. Uh, I was going to say that this car wash was covered by Christina Aguilera and Missy Elliott in 2004 for the animated film Shark Tale. I have never heard that version. He doesn't you have, he you doesn't, don't need to hear it to know exactly what it sounds like. Yeah, okay. I, I listened to 30 seconds of it, and Missy Elliott goes, oh, yeah, 2004, in the, those 30 seconds. Uh, that's what I was afraid yeah. of. Did you hear that? I'll play it again. It's simply irresistible. Oh. Guys, Robert Palmer. Oh. Hey, Raleigh Hatch, thanks for twisting our minds around and challenging us to think. Thanks for having a sweet name, bro. You figured that out? All on your own? Well, he told me in the email. Oh. Uh, You fucker. uh, Guys, it's number one. Number one. Oh, shit. Frida Payne with Band of Gold. Didn't she have a sister? She had a sister named Sherry Payne, who we heard back at number 10 in the glass house. Hot dog. Hot diggity dog. This is another song about impotence sung by a woman. There's no cheating in this one. It's just the most disappointing wedding night that a horny virgin could have. Uh, she's pretty much spends the whole song in mourning for this guy's boner. Wishes he would come back and try again, but it seems like he's too embarrassed. It's really too bad that the band of gold, the titular band of gold, seems to be the wedding ring and not a cock ring, which could help the guy with his problem in all likelihood. I had no idea any of this was in this song, because apparently I've never actually listened to the lyrics of this song. Yeah, it's pretty out there. It's pretty right up right up front. It could be interpreted a lot of ways. Maybe it's not about a wedding ring, but it's about a band of musicians playing in an all-gold club in, in Goldface. A band of gold, like Neil Diamond. Like like the house the band in Goldfinger. Finger. Yeah, exactly. Dumb. That was dumb. Continue with. Fun there's fact. another. There's another interpretation of this song. Not just that he's impotent, but uh, that uh, the rumor around the gay community at the time was that the husband couldn't get it up because he was gay. Oh. And they made it. A, it was a big hit. Uh, That's not in the a gay thing. Community. That sissy sitar is is uh, that really helps drive that point home. But no, I like the sitar in this song. It's awesome. Yeah, it's psychedelic and yeah. shit. Yeah, the Beatles introduced it in like 1965, and I can't believe it was that long ago. Um, yeah, there's some sitar in the there. The sitar is a pretentious choice, but <laughs> it was really great in the, in the songs that used it in this era. Yeah, well, it works here. A lot of a lot of songs that didn't work in this one, it really does. 
But then when you listen to the lyrics, it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's 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 really eye opening. I'm conflicted. It's it's incredible that there's marriage equality now, but we might end up losing musical gems like Band of Gold. Wait, who am I kidding? Music's dead. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. We've already lost Man. half. We've lost half this music anyway, because like, the fr- only the top four songs are even on Spotify. Yeah, long live gay marriage. Yeah. Um, this is this is another song that I used to play at WLCS. It got me excited about music. It's just relentlessly yeah, it's awesome. Fantastic. It's fantastic. It's yeah, one of my it's Steve, one of my favorite R and B songs. Honestly, top to bottom, really great list. Restart this song. We have more to say about this amazing song. All right. Yeah. Uh, this song, I didn't say the chart position. This didn't hit number one in America for some stupid fucking reason because it's amazing. But it did go number one in the UK. It was number three in America. Uh, Frida Payne wasn't sure about the song originally because she, she didn't feel like she was young enough to be a believable virgin in this song, I think, I think was the idea. But it was good enough that nobody cared. Uh, she... Frida Payne started her career. She was born in Detroit. She ended up doing musical theater in New York. Uh, and then she came home to sign with Holland Dozier Holland's label. Uh, Sherry, her sister, sings back up on this song, along with future Dawn, Telma Hawkins, and Joyce Wilson. And we've got Ray Parker Jr. back on guitar again. So, yeah. shirtless. Shirtless. Yeah. Cheating. So, as he should Cheating be. as Cheating. usual. Yeah. yeah. I have a theory on Ray Parker Jr. What's your theory? On, on all these songs about, like, women... Like I, I, digging on their men about about cheating on them, so he spent the rest of his career like singing songs about it. Yeah. Oh, doing from, his atonement. From, from, well, no, from his perspective, yeah. from every, the male perspective. <laughs> every single Ray Parker Jr. song is about cheating. Every is insane. Every single one. Anyway, that's like a that different time. They cheated on show. all those ghosts. Yeah, no, Ghostbusters is totally about cheating. Is it? Yeah, it's about if the, if the invisible man sleeping in your bed. Who are you gonna call Ghostbusters? Oh, you're She's right. Yeah. The ghosts. Oh wow. man, I never there's put other, that there's other hard lines, up. There's other lines too that support that theory, but I can't yeah. think of them right now. Right. We'll probably talk about it later. I bet we will. Let me do a couple more fun facts about Frida Payne. She was married to a pre-stardom Gregory Abbott of Shake You Down fame from 1986. Of course. He was 12 years younger than her. Uh, she then later dated the lead singer of disco group The Silvers. And she is a dame in the Order of the Knights of Malta, which is some kind of Catholic medical service organization. Who wouldn't Who wouldn't fuck a lady on the wedding night when she has so many fun facts around her? I would jam my dick right all in those fun facts. <laughs> I guess yeah, get it all sloppy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, are we done with fun facts? I want to just do the sad epilogue to nope. Post Motown. Uh, in 1973, Holland Dozier Holland's labels went belly up, allegedly over difficulties collecting payment from distributors, and most of these artists' careers went right down the toilet along with them. So even when you have world-class writers and producers generating your material and everybody here is full of talent, it's still hard to run a business. You hear that, Dustin? Make sure you set up an easy means of payment collection for Farrell's distributors. And go to the Feral Audio uh, Amazon portal, guys. Uh, all right, what didn't make the list? I found a good one. It's a band called Lucifer. Oh, sounds good. From Holland Dozier. Which, by the way, I didn't say that there's a bunch of, there's a lot of Satanism in there. I think particularly their Invictus 
thing. Uh, one what of the, is what does Invictus mean? It means unconquered, and I know that from a David Allen Coe album titled. It's, I, the the title is literally Invictus means unconquered. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I love you, Hollywood. <laughs> the the eighth days. Uh, their record label or their record cover was one of the most metal album covers I've ever seen. It's like Satan's cat. Yeah, with the oh. horns. Yeah, I looked it's, it up after re- you said it's, that. It's amazing. Um, I gotta check this out. It's uh, it's, it's it's yeah, awesome. it's right up your alley, Steve. You anyway, make a great right tattoo. up the Steve hole. But there was a band called Lucifer, uh, which is mostly Eugene Smith, the Canadian, who was a backing member of Ronnie Hawkins' band, The Hawks, out of Canada. Oh, like the band. Yeah. Yeah, and the band was part of the Hawks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, and he was in the. Anyways, I pick "Time Gonna Change Everything" by the band Lucifer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen. Check to that. that out. It's, it's good. And maybe we can figure out why there's so much Satanism in these in Pomo because yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Well, I found more. I did a little click and discovered um, an HDH had another label, a sub label of Invictus called Music Merchant. I found a funk band on there called Warlock. Ooh. The album cover has this sweet satanic warlock. Oh, with like a, with like a, what, yeah, what is it? Warlock's the, that, fucking badass. The pentagram? The pentagram on his forehead? Yeah. It looks like a Dio cover. Oh, But it's yes. like, it's Pomo funk. There's like a very straightforward song called You've Been My Rock. Um, I really like it. And then there's like also more doomy, like hard organ funk. Yes! Or like some easy wickening yeah. soul yes! stuff. Yeah! You got to hear it to believe it. Check it out on YouTube. Uh-huh. And I, and I also think well, I, Parliament was on Invictus, weren't they? I forget. They were on some small label around Detroit, and I can't remember which one it was. I think they were on Invictus. They yeah. came up on Invictus, but well, maybe I was looking at the wrong thing. Well, the way we've described Invictus, it sounds like it would have made a better uh, True Detective Season 2. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anything like this. Like somebody, Pizzolatto! Somebody filming our research for this podcast would have made a better season two. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve, uh, my what didn't make it was I I love the song Rose Royce. Uh, I love the song Car Wash. I love Rose Royce. You yes, know this. we we both love Rose Royce. I did not agree with your selection of Car Wash. I thought it was too mainstream because there's so many other really really good songs. That is absolutely true. There are a lot of good Rose Royce songs. But I think we should challenge all of ourselves to put more Rose Royce into these countdowns. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that it's point. Fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe you should uh, come up with some sort of Rose Royce-centered episode instead of your next episode, Dave, next week, which is called AIDS. AIDS. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Tune in for AIDS. Next week, AIDS. We all have AIDS. AIDS. Find this week's Pomo playlist by following J.D. Rizno on Spotify. Go to YachtRock.com to buy T-shirts. Read the Captain's blog and see show notes by Timothy Malcolm at Timothy Malcolm on Twitter. The guy's full of fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at YachtRock. Follow JD at JD Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow Dave at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Rate and review us on iTunes. Give us a little action for the algorithms. There's 4,800 of you who have not rated us yet on iTunes. Let's all do it this week. Yeah. Thanks to Raleigh Hatch for sending those bumpers. And thanks for Mama and Papa Hatch for giving him the name Raleigh. Yeah. Additional bumpers by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Thanks for to D Marsh for putting the mo and heteromosexual. That's a straight guy who likes to have sex with women and also Weird. feels romantic mm-hmm. things about them. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts at feralaudio.com.
Suppose Raleigh was named after Raleigh Fingers. I hope so. I hope he has a mustache like Raleigh Fingers. Well, Cat, Catfish Hunter had a good one too. Greg Raleigh. Yeah. All those A's did. Oh, yeah. yeah. That guy had some gene meat. Yeah.